to open to Psalm 119 and Leviticus 24, and let's pray. Lord, we pray that your word more than ever would be a light unto our feet, a lamp that guides our path, that shows us the direction where to go. And God, we pray that your light would shine upon us, shine within us, and shine out from us to a world that needs to know who you are and from people who have experienced your love and want to have others experience your love. Lord, I just love the fact that you have given each one of us a gift. You've called us to a purpose, to a calling. And I pray that in part because of today, we would fulfill that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, six million people the other night lost power. Six million people were put into the dark. Uh, I, I mean, all of a sudden, the lights went from on to off, and it shocked people. And uh, it, it created a lot of things happening. Uh, Daryl Talbert shared with us that he was in San Diego, and that vibrant, alive city all of a sudden went dark, and he said this was the word to describe it, eerie. I mean, no street lights, uh, no lights in, in restaurants. And he said, you'd walk out on the street and it was literally like a horror movie scary, which is why we live in Corona, not San Diego. And, uh, uh, but, but you know what? My mom and sister were in Palm Springs and the lights went out in the hotel. And now they're in Palm Springs. Their room's on the sixth floor. They can't get to it. No elevators. And, and can you imagine Palm Springs with no air conditioning? Yeah, you call that hell. And, uh, and that's what it was like. And all of a sudden, it's just all, everybody got shocked by that. They went from being able to see and, and navigate direction to none. And when, when the lights go out, everything changes. Could you imagine if the lights went out in here? What would happen if all of a sudden they dimmed to nothing? And, and how would you operate? How would you navigate? Well, like many of us, we'd have to find a way to do that. So some of you would use your cell phone, some of you, your iPads, and then others of us grab matches and we'd light matches and, and then we'd try to light a candle or something so that we could see. And, and you can see right now that with this, I can see, I can look out there, but I can only see about this far. And if I have to get from here to there, out. Um, if I... <laughs> I have to get from here to there. I, I'm going to have to light a lot of matches. I'm going to have to strike things. I'm going to have to reach for those in different ways. And, and these little matches don't work very well. So maybe I'll grab bigger matches. And, you know, I'll try to strike those, but I'm striking it backwards. There we go. And so you can see this puts out a little more light. But then again, here's the point. I can make it. I can get somewhere. But the reality is it requires a lot of energy to do this. And I got to keep relighting and relighting and trying to move forward. And this is a description of a lot of people's lives. You're making it. You're getting by. But you've got to react to the environment around you. And when the environment changes, like on a 9-11 we saw 10 years ago, and let's go ahead and bring the lights up, what happens is, is you find yourself, you know, all of a sudden, you're not sure what to do with life. The economy changes. Your job ends. The doctor gives you bad news. Uh, there is a relational explosion that takes place in your life, and maybe for some it's an implosion. And you think, how am I going to make it? And in those moments, it reveals that we've been probably trying to light our path in the wrong way. We've been trying to navigate uh, using the wrong energy. And when we get to the whole idea of understanding the light of God and what that means for us, we begin to understand 
how life is meant to be lived. Now, Psalm 119, if you're with me, look what it says there. Psalm 119 says this, verse 105. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, when we start talking about the lampstand of God, it's symbolic of many things, but one is the word of God. Uh, That God's word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives direction to me. It shows me my purpose. It shows me my direction. And by you ready for this, God has a path for you to follow. He has a path for you to follow. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for your life. And if you're the most vibrant, on-fire Christian here, hopefully you're following and living that plan. If you're someone who loves God, but you kind of find yourself wandering, God's got a path for you. And if you're brand new to all this, let me tell you something. I don't care what your parents told you. You are not a mistake. You're not an accident. (laughs) Get it? And uh, uh, the, the thing is, God has a plan for you. You were made with a purpose. You were made for a reason. And and we need to grab hold of what that is and live out our destiny. God's great desire is for that. Look down at verse 130. Psalm 119, 130. It says this. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now, I think it's interesting. It says, not only is God's word my guide, it gives me understanding. The reason I, I was struck by this is it was just not very long ago I'm talking with someone who's wrestling through, is there a God even? And uh, we're talking about it and I'm sharing with them and they looked at me and they said these words. They said, well, I guess that we just kind of have to go on blind faith. And I said, no. No, I, that is not what a Christian does. We go on faith, but you ready? it's not a blind faith. Our faith is based on amazing evidence. Our faith is based on an actual relationship with God. It's not a blind faith. Soren Kierkegaard, the famous philosopher, said this. He, he said, we do have to take a leap of faith. But the leap is based with standing on a mountain of evidence. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the evidence of things, uh, or is the evidence of things seen and the conviction of things not seen. That faith is that evidence we have, and it's a conviction we have. And we have conviction on something we can't see, but we stand on evidence too. There's reasons we believe the Bible's the Word of God. There's historical evidence, archaeological evidence. There's prophetic proof to it. Uh, it lines up with scientific facts we know. Uh, uh, the Bible is just right. And, and the amazing thing, it was written over 1,600 years, and there's no contradictions within it. And when you look at 40 different authors over 1,600 years, you go, wait a minute, this isn't a book by, written by men. This is a, a, a book dictated by God. And it's a message to you that's a light unto your path. It's a message to you that God has a plan for you. And he wants you to have understanding. And we don't live our life by blind, blind faith. We live our lives in a realized faith of a God who loves and cares for us. And so we need to grab a hold of that and not let go of it and, and, and hang on to it completely. God desires for you to do it. Now that brings us to the whole idea of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was designed by God so we can understand how we enter into a real relationship with him and experience him. It started by going into an outer courtyard where there was a brazen altar. And on that altar, a sacrifice was given on our behalf that allows us to enter in. That was done by Jesus Christ. 
Then you come to a laver where you examine yourself. And that allowed you now to have curtains open so you could enter into the holy place where you were to experience the very presence of God. On the right-hand side was the table of bread, the table of his presence, speaking of the provision of God. And on the left-hand side is where we're going today, the lampstand. Seven lights that were lit so we might see when we're in there. Seven lights that symbolize God's light in our life. Seven lights that point us to a place of prayer and eventually to the Holy of Holies where we experience the most intimate thing we can with the Lord. Please grab this. On the right-hand side is God's provision. On the left-hand side is God's purpose where we understand God's purpose for us. When you start talking about the full blessing of God, you take hold of the provision of God through the bread of presence and you take hold of God's purpose by letting him light your path and guide your way. And I want us to gain a great understanding of that today. And to do that, look at Leviticus chapter 24 with me. I'm gonna read from the New Living, but I'd like to have you follow along. Leviticus 24 verses one to four. The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to provide you with pure olive oil for the lampstand so it will be kept burning continually. Now I'm going to keep reading on, so make sure you get there. Did you see that word, kept burning continually? I do not want it ever to go out. I want them to make sure it's burning, especially from evening till morning. You're to tend to it. We're going to see that in a moment. Uh, a few years ago, I went with my family to Arlington National Cemetery and it was a, a very moving time. One of the places I really wanted to see is I wanted to stand at the tomb of President John F. Kennedy and look at the eternal flame. So we gathered together and we walked up and I'm standing there and I looked at it. There was a Marine who actually guards it and oversees it. So I said to him, wow, you get to stand by the very eternal flame. And he shook his head, yes. And I said, man, that's gotta be an incredible privilege. And he said, yeah. And I said, so I guess it never goes out. And he goes, no, it goes out all the time. The eternal flame goes out. How, how's it the eternal flame? And he actually pulled out of his pocket. He goes, yeah, whenever it goes out, I just take this lighter and relight it, you know? And it's like, really? Does that kind of lose something to you? But you know what? The priest was never, ever, ever to let one of those seven lights go out. Now here's where I want you to go. I, I, I hope you get this. There was a responsibility to this light. To the priest, it was an amazing responsibility. I mean, if that light went out on you and famine hit, that's on you. You've, you actually had a curse of God come on the people. If the light went out on you and children died, that's on you. If the light went out on you and the economy came, you know, came tumbling down, that's on you. I mean, they thought, if I'm the one who lets the go out, if you let the light go out and somebody came stumbling in and knocked over the holy things... That would not be good. Do you realize you do not want to be the priest who let the light go out? And the Lord said they need to watch over it continually. Look what it goes on to say. Verse uh, 3. Aaron will set it up outside the inner curtain, which we'll talk about in coming weeks, of the most holy place in the tabernacle and must arrange to have the lamps tended continually from evening until morning before the Lord. This is a permanent law for you. It must be kept by all future generations. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand be, must be contended continually in the Lord's presence. God said, I don't want you ever to let this go out. Now, that meant that God's light, which symbolized his word, which symbolized his guidance, which symbolized your purpose, and him guiding you in your purpose was to always be blazing. 
But what I want you to not miss again, and I'm going to reemphasize this, that means we have a responsibility. Which brings us, and if you turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah had a vision. And in that vision, it was an aha, this is an incredible moment. And with what I'm about to share with you, I think you're going to understand like you never have before. What in his vision he saw, he saw the lampstand there. And then he saw two olive trees next to it. The olive trees had pipes attached to them. So they were actually aimed at the bulb. Remember the lampstand's got these bulbs on it. And the bulbs at the top of the lampstand uh, actually contain olive oil. Excuse me, olive oil. And so they would make sure there was always oil in there so they never went out. And if it ever got depleted, they would lose it. So you could see the, the bulbs behind me. And, and so there was these pipes that went from the olive tree, a live olive tree, that allowed oil to constantly flow into these seven bulbs. And, and Zechariah was like, yes! I mean, who, this is the greatest invention ever. Why? Because now they don't have to always go pour it in. And by the way, think about it. You would have to hold your breath when you looked. If you were going to look at the bulb and you breathed, you might blow it out. You never want it to go out. So you'd have to hold your breath and carefully pour the olive oil in so you never extinguished it. But now he sees this vision of the, the seven pipes from the two palm tree or olive trees flowing in. And he's like, this is awesome. And he's like, but what does it mean? What does it mean? And here's the amazing meaning. Now get ready. This actually will apply to you. In Zechariah chapter four, verses six and seven. It's an angel talking. It says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel was the governor of that day. He was uh, kind of the president of that area, kind of like Barack Obama is for us right now. And times then were tough. The economy was decimated. People were barely making it and very depressed economically. Unemployment was sky high. Resources were scarce. They were in danger of being attacked. There was attacks from without and attacks from within. This was a time that was very, very desperate. So there was a mountain of problems standing before him. And this one man is trying to help them all rise back up and he's overseeing the government. And God says to Zechariah, what you just saw with these two olive trees pouring in this olive oil into this is, is a sign for him to have right now. Because he's got so much responsibility. Listen to what it is in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. This is the, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know what that, the oil symbolized the Holy Spirit. The olive oil was the Holy Spirit going in to energize this lamp and to always keep it blazing hot so that it might fulfill the purpose it has. And it was a sign to Zerubbabel saying, hey, your purpose right now is one that is needed. You've got a vital calling. You need to fulfill what you're supposed to fulfill. But I want to tell you how it's going to happen. I am going to guide you in it. I'm going to empower you to do it. Do you realize, I don't know if you're grabbing it, but that's what God's word is to you. God's telling you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, a Christian, that God has given you a spiritual gift. It, you, everybody here, if you're a Christian, you've been given a spiritual gift by God and God expects you to use it. It's not okay that you don't use it. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have a responsibility. But God says, I will empower you to do it. This is the power of the word of God flowing into you, saying, it's not by your own might. You might say, 
But it's hard to do. God says it might be hard, but I'll empower you to do it. Not by your own power. You don't have to gear it up. God says, I'll empower you to do it. And God has got things for you to do. He's got things for you to fulfill. He's got responsibilities for you to take on. And God says, when you do that, you were made for this. I have a plan for your life, but I'll empower you to do it. And God's desire is that you and I understand that. So he says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And this lamp that stood there with the olive oil on it is about the spirit of God empowering you to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. Look what he goes on to say in verse seven. What are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain and he will bring forth the top stone with the shouts of grace, grace to it. Where we're going is this. He had a Mount Baldy of problems. You know how you look out and see Mount Baldy? I mean, that was how big the problems were. And he said, but because of my spirit working within you, you one day will stand on a capstone. You will see that mountain come to the ground and you will stand upon it and you will scream by the grace of God, by the grace of God, this happened. Now, God has a calling for you. And that means you do have to put effort and energy into it. You have a responsibility and you should be taking that on. By the way, I want to be as clear as I can. If you're here today and you don't know your calling, that doesn't make it okay not to start fulfilling it. You need to put yourself in the hands of God and go for it. And God wants you to do it. He wants you to throw yourself into it. And it's a great calling. It's a God-given calling. Everybody here has a part in this. And when we do, we need to do it not by our own effort, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we see the mountain of problems before us come down to nothing. If you say, but Chuck, right now, man, the economy's killing me. Guess what? If you put yourself in the hands of God, it will not be long that you'll scream out in victory. It was the grace of God, the grace of God that brought me through this. If you say, you know what, man, man, I've got a health issue. Guess what? The great physician will come to you. And you'll say, by the grace of God, the grace of God, I came through this. You might say, but you know what, man, I've got a problem in my marriage. And you'll say, but the grace of God, the grace of God brought me on. And, and whatever it is, God's grace is going to be there. By the way, not just for problems, but for purpose. I hope right now you could say, I am fulfilling God's purpose in my life. If you're not let me tell you, God loves you too much for you not to do that. But you need to stand going by the grace of God. We get to do what we do and be who we should be. And we need to take that on. And that's what we need to grab. And it's not by uh, an idea of a works-oriented mentality. But there is effort. There is energy. There is a ministry. There is a calling. And it's for you. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 8 where he says he's the light. John 8 verse 12, Jesus said this. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I want to have you not miss the middle of that. He said, I am the light of the world, and if you would follow me, you'll never be in darkness. You're always going to have the light of life. You're going to have this, not this matchstick kind of thing, where you're trying to make it, where you're saying, how do I get there? And you're always doing this energy. It's going to be an amazing life you live. The light of life, the light of God, just pouring upon you, shining within you, shining out of you. God has that for you. Jesus said it's for everybody who, do you, did you catch it? Who follows him. You see, as a Christian, I don't tell God to follow me. As a disciple, well, a, a Christian means one who belongs to Christ. 
a disciple is a follower of Christ. Too many Christians, I mean, act like that God ought to follow them. Well, I prayed this prayer and he ought to do this for me. And I want him to do this and I want him to do that. Were you ready for this? When you're a Christian, you don't tell God what you want him to do. You ask God what you, you're supposed to do for him. What do you want me to do? That's what we do. I love my grandchildren. I think everybody here knows that. <laughs> and if you don't, if you're brand new, you're going to hear grandchildren's stories constantly. But I love my grandkids. I mean, I do. And, and, and I, there's probably, I would do almost anything for them. But I'll tell you one thing I won't do is put up with disrespect. And my uh, little grandson, Liam, is just the love of my life. He's two years old, but he's, 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 he's in the terrible twos. I can't believe it. I thought, where did this come from? And I know the answer from Pam's side of the family. And, uh, <laughs> and, and every now and then, it's like, wait a minute. How did this sweet little boy just turn into this? The other day, he wanted me to do something. And I, I, it wasn't something I should do or even was going to do. And so I said, no, Liam. And he smacked me. Now, at that moment, I practiced something biblical called the laying on of hands. And um, <laughs> do you know why I did, though? Because I love him. I, if I didn't do that, if I did not discipline him in that moment, my son Tim and my daughter-in-law Jill would have a fit with me. They, do not, they don't want him to turn into that kind of kid. I don't want him to be that kind of kid. I, 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 he will never rise up to be the man he should be if we let him get away with that. You see, he's got to understand. I would do anything for him except put up with that. And, uh, and I've just got to tell you, I think God, without, I, not I think, here's no mitigation, God won't do that with you or me either. Jesus said, you come follow me. I want you to follow in my steps. I want you to follow the purpose I have for you. This is what gets even better. The word of God shines a light into our path and the Lord Jesus Christ sets a direction. And when we're following him and with him, you begin fulfilling a purpose for your life that's amazing and incredible. And we need to let that happen. And Jesus said, when you do that, I am the light. I am going to show you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to have you experience this with me. That's the great desire we have. But again, you ready for this? That means you have a God-given responsibility. And look what it says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. It says this. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, I, I do know. I, there's no way. There's thousands of people here. I know there's got to be some of you going, man, that's not what I came to church for to hear I have something to do. I didn't come here to church to be told that, you know, I got to put some energy in. I, I came because I'm burdened. Well, you know what Jesus said? Well, come to me then and I will give you rest. But notice the next line, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and you will learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, for all of you today, and I'm serious about this, if you're heavy laden, if you're weary, if you say, I'm so tired, I don't know how I'm gonna make it, the only way to find rest to your souls, to the depth of your soul, is come to him, but then you have to take his yoke on you. Now, in, in that day and time, they would have an oxen and they would put a yoke on the oxen. Now, do you know why they put the yoke on the oxen? To guide the oxen. Uh, you know, in other words, if they were trying to get from here to there, they just didn't, you know, throw some ropes on the oxen and say, just take us where you want to go. No, they would put a yoke on it so they could guide it where it was supposed to go. 
And that's how they would journey. Or if they were going to, you know, plow a field, they put a yoke on the oxen to guide it in plowing the field. And the Lord said this, are you hurting? Are you worried? Are you wondering? Are you wandering? Then come to me. And I'm going to take that burden off you. If you're, you're laden with guilt, I want to lift guilt off you. If you feel like you're buried in shame, I want to wash you clean. If you've been wounded, I had a, someone not too long ago come up and say, Chuck, when you talk about being wounded, I feel like I've had a fatal wound. And I said, then you've come to the right place because you come to a God who gives resurrection life. But let him do it. You know, let him do that for you. And... God wants to do that and, and, and let him lift you. And, but here's the thing. If he does that, he's going to say, now that I picked you up, let's go this direction. I want you to follow me. I'm going to put my yoke on you. I want to guide you to this. Now, by the way, when that happens, does it mean that life is easy? No. But are you ready for this? It means that life is easier. You see, we're not meant for the easy life. The easy life's a horrible life. If all you do all weekend long is sit on a couch eating chips and watching football, I got to tell you, you're going to get depressed real quick. I mean, I've tried it. It just doesn't work, you know. And, uh, but when you, you start doing what you're meant to do, you go, there's a vitality within me. There's a life to be lived. Now, does it require some energy? Yes. Is it responsibility involved? You bet it is because you are important. And if you're important, that means you have an important responsibility. And you've got to take that on and say yes to God. But Jesus said, if you do that with me the right way, it's an easier life. Not an easy life, but it's easier than you trying to strike matches and finding it your way. It's letting God's light shine and letting God's light guide you. And notice what he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's, the, it's living life to the fullest and living life with meaning. And that's what you and I need to do. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It's not the way many people choose. When he puts the yoke upon you and begins to guide you, he takes you in a direction that few will choose to go, but it's the better way. It's the more incredible way. Jesus said this in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. See, it's the light of life. It's the way of life. It's going through the gate of life. That's what he wants you to do. Now, is it easy? No, it's narrow. At times it can seem difficult, but it's always better because you are living a purpose. You have a calling and it's important. My mom is left-handed. And uh, you know what? Some of you might be, I'm looking around, some of you may identify with this. When she went to school and the day she went to school left-handed, what do you think they did? They made her write right-handed, yeah, yeah. You know, today we don't do that, but back then, no, everyone writes right-handed. Uh, when you throw a ball, you got to throw right-handed. When you went to bat, you had to bat right-handed. Now, could my mom write that way? Definitely. But her God-given way to write was left-handed. Could she throw the ball? Definitely. But her God-given way was left-handed. Could she bat? You bet. But it took far more effort because her God-given way was left-handed. 
Some of you right now are not living the life God meant for you to live. And you're going, but it's so hard. And at times it's awkward. And I feel like I stumble. And, and it's like I start to get ahead and I go back. Well, maybe you're living a right-handed life and you are made to be left-handed. Maybe you haven't caught on to living life God's way. You know, if you do it that way, are you still going to have to throw? Yeah, but it's more natural and it's smoother and it's better and it's easier. And God created you for that. Proverbs 9 verse 6 says this, forsake your folly and live. So many things are folly. So many people are investing in things that don't matter. So it says forsake, forsake that kind of a lifestyle and live. And notice what it goes on. And proceed in the way of understanding. See, that's what that light is. It's shining out. That's what Psalm 119 says. It says in there that you give understanding to us, Lord. It's saying, I understand now who I'm meant to be. I'm understanding the life I'm meant to live. I'm understanding purpose. And when you live that kind of life, it's truly, truly amazing. God wants it for you. But a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people can't see the light. A lot of people don't have understanding. Now, you ready for this? Of the greater calling of what really matters. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says these words, and even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, covered up, it is veiled to those who are perishing, who are dying inside, who, who in the end are wasting life. Verse 4, in whose case the God of this world, which is the devil, has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. A lot of people are blinded that God loves them, blinded from who Jesus is for them, blinded from the purpose they have. A lot of people are. And, and they just don't seem to get it. And, and you know what? That's part of what you and I need to do. We need to have the light of God shine on us and we need to go out and shine a light to show them that so they can see it. In Luke 11, it talks about seeing clearly matters. Seeing clearly really, really matters. And in Luke 11, verse 33, it says this. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. Now, notice this. Don't miss this. The eye, your eye, the way you see things is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Then the warning. Then watch out that the lamp in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you in its rays. Now I would love to take a ton of time on this because it's really a, a great section from Jesus. But let me just quickly tell you what he's saying. The way you see things tells you who you are. The way you see things defines you and your character. Do you see what the light of God, do you see what the light shining out of you, shining for you, guiding you? Or do you see it as dark things? Um, Cory Booker is a mayor in New Jersey. And we just heard him speak. And Cory is an African-American man, uh, has a real passion to make a difference in the world. And so when he was first starting out to run for office, he had this vision for Newark, New Jersey. And so he's trying to get people to align with this vision and rally behind it. But he's this new guy and young guy. And is anybody going to do it? So he went out meeting with the most influential people he could. One of them was an elderly African-American woman who lived in the projects. 
And everybody loved her, strong Christian lady. I mean, she was grandma to the whole area. So what she said mattered. And he thought, if I can get her on my side, man, I'll get a lot of votes and a lot of, a lot of energy. So he went and he met with her and he said, I'd love for you. Here's my vision. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's how I'd like to revitalize our city. The difference I'd like to make. Will you join me? And she said, well, let's go outside. So they went down the stairs and they stood on the street. She said, tell me what you see. And uh, it was a very rundown area. Uh, and he said, well, and I see a lot of graffiti and it's a blight on our community. And uh, over there, I see a drug deal going down and, and man, we got to stop that. And there's prostitution right there and, and there's trash everywhere. And she said, well, I'm not going to vote for you. And he said, why not? She goes, because I want to tell you what I see. Uh, I see right over there is an apartment where a woman works two jobs to support her children and get her through school. I, I see across the street is a business owner and he hasn't left our community. It's dangerous and he could have, but he stayed open so we would have a supermarket and food. I think he's a hero. And I see over there, you saw the trash. I see people picking up the trash. I don't want to support someone who can only see the problems. I want you to see the solution. And he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> by the way, who saw it right? Who saw it right? Yeah, she did. And by the way, how do Christians see things? You see, you might say, but there are problems there. But for a Christian, that's a possibility and a potential for a miracle, right? You know, you might say, yeah, but things are hard. We're like, yeah, that means something important can be done. You might say, yeah, but things are tough. But we have a God who does miracles and causes the mountains of problems to be made into a capstone where we scream the grace of God, the grace of God. We want to live a life like that. We want to be those kind of people. And when we live our purpose, we see that unfold before us. That's who God wants us to be. And that's the life he's made you to live. You're not right-handed in a right-hand world. You're left-handed in a right-hand world to make a difference. That's who God wants you to be. And he wants you to go out there and fulfill that and be that kind of person. Jesus tells you and he tells me, that he is a light to guide our path. He is a light to lift our burdens. He is a light to give us hope. He is a light to drive away the darkness. But are you ready for this? He's a light so that you might light up also, so that you might make a difference. In Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, it says, you, you and I, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Hey, if you're a follower of Christ, let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and give glory to God. Crossroads Church, let our light shine in such a way that they may see our good works and give glory to God. Let us be that church. Let us be that people. Uh, a story I've told before because I love it is uh, I read about this in the life of Mother Teresa. And what happened according to the story I read is that it was right after Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize. She went from being, you know, a, a pretty important person now to an international celebrity. And everybody wanted her. She was so sought after. Every leading government official wanted to stand on a stage with Mother Teresa. The President of the United States, everybody. And so she didn't want that. She wasn't comfortable with it. But her, her, the people around her said, Mother, this is your chance. This is your chance to uh, bring our message, to make a difference. You've got to do it. So the first uh, uh, place she agreed to go to was to Australia. 
And so they put her on a flight with first class seating, which she wasn't comfortable with. She now had bodyguards, which she hated. She lands in Australia. There's an actual marching band there playing for her. She's like, this is not me. She gets out. There's all the press and the photos and limos. And and now she finds out she's not going to be staying with the Sisters of Charity because they can't secure that place. She's going to be staying in a penthouse in the Hilton Hotel. And she thought, this is not me. So they drive her up to the Hilton and she goes inside and she walks by this huge banquet room she'll be in later and they're going to have her at the seat of honor in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, all who paid incredible amounts of money to be in the room with her. And she sees the suite and she's thinking, this isn't me. She goes down into the lobby and she has to go to the bathroom and she thought, enough. Security is not going with me in the bathroom. So she goes to the bathroom and comes out and she looks across the street She could see it through those turnstile kind of doors. And when they had pulled up, she had noticed a man sitting on a bench and he's still out there. So she sneaks out. She slips away and she goes and she sits down next to the man. And uh, according to the story, she uh, scooted real close to him and so he looked at her and she started rubbing her hands and smiling. (laughs) Remember Mother Teresa? Well, he didn't recognize her. And she said to him, Are you lonely? And he said, you know, there was something so disarming about her, so embracing and engaging. I, I just started pouring out my heart. And he said, I am. My wife died two years ago. And uh, I just can't seem to get my life back together. I don't want to live life without her. He said, I hate being in her house. I, I hate lying in bed at night with her not there. I just can't seem to get over it. So I'm sitting here right now waiting for it to get dark and I hope I can go home and go to sleep. And I'm just doing this every day. And she looked at him and said, could I go with you to your house and clean it? I want to clean your home for you. And he said, what? She goes, no, would you let me do that? And he's like, okay, it's pretty dirty. She goes, then more than ever. And they went to his house. And by the way, by this time, they've realized they lost Mother Teresa, which is turning into a huge problem for Australia. They lost her. How would you like to be the country that lost Mother Teresa? And, and they really were. They're going nuts, and she didn't tell anybody. And when they opened the door, the house was a mess, and she was so excited. She didn't see the mess. She saw an opportunity to serve. And she just threw herself into cleaning and talking and laughing and singing. And and she walked out with the picture of his wife and said, tell me about her. And he talked and shared memories. And she cleaned and listened. And then she came out with an oil lamp. And she said, this is beautiful. And he said, yeah, my wife bought that. And she goes, well, do you light it? And he said, no. He said, I just can't bring myself to do it. She said, well, I'll make you, by the way, by now he knew who she was. He figured it out. She said, I'll make you a deal. If you'll light this lamp every day, I'll come visit you every day I'm in Australia. We're friends now. And so she made that demand. She told them, no matter what my schedule is, I must be in that man's house every day. And so he agreed. He lit the lamp and she'd come and they talked and shared and their friendship deepened and grew. And then when it was time to leave, she told him, one of my sisters will come and visit you every day. I promise. And, and so she hugged him and cried and, and, and left friends. Well, it was some months later that what happened is uh, one of the sisters came. And, and they had come every day just like 
Mother Teresa promised. And through that, he started going and serving in the Sisters of Charity. Now his life had meaning. He had friends. He had purpose. He had a calling. And so the one sister walks in one day and she said, Mother Teresa called yesterday. She asked how you were. What should I tell her? And uh, I memorized this. According to the interview, he said this. He said, tell Mother Teresa the light she lit in my life is burning brighter and brighter every single day. And I just think that's awesome. You were made to have the light of God upon you, the light of God in you. You were made for a purpose so you would light a light in other people's lives. You really were. It may be someone in a time of need where their flame is very flickering, almost about to go out, but you come alongside and fan it. It might be a young child who needs to be guided on their path. It might be a a teenager that needs to be mentored. It might be a neighbor who needs you just encouraging it. It it might be your own husband or wife or children. But you were made by God with a purpose. And I want to tell you that you'll only be happy when you fulfill it. Only be happy when you take the responsibility seriously. Because you have a calling and he has a plan. So all of you who are followers of Christ, let's do it. Let's do it with all our heart, with all our might. And let's do it experiencing the life we were made for. If you're here today and you're a Christian, but you're not following that commitment, you're a Christian and you're not living in intimacy with God, I want to invite you to a relationship with Him. You might say, well, how do I enter it? How do I come back? You know what? You already know. You just recommit. You say, God, I I want to be back. I want to be yours. If you're here today and you're hurting, you're weighed down and, and maybe wounded. I want to tell you, Jesus loves you more than you know. Come open your heart to him. Say yes to him. Let him bring healing and commit to letting him guide you completely on the life he has for you. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to God, I'm praying today the Holy Spirit touches you. I'm praying there's a stirring upon you. And you know today that you not only are someone that God loves, but you're someone who God wants to guide. And he wants to show you life. And it's meant to be lived in a very real personal relationship with him where he's your father. And Jesus wants that for you. And so you know what the Lord said? The Lord said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would open up to me, I would come into you. And today, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do it. Right now, we're going to go to a time of prayer. And what I want to do is today, if you want to either commit your life to Christ or you want the healing of God, or if you want God to lift your burden, or if you want to say yes to God for the first time, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I really mean this. I'm going to ask you to whisper some words. I'm going to ask you to say yes to God and open up to him and give yourself to him. And oh, he'll take you. He would never not answer this prayer. Let's pray. Father, I I pray today that we would be the church we're meant to be and shine as a light in this community. And I pray we'd shine as a light for our own people to lift those up who come in weighed down at times or to fan the flame of revival in those who are ready to go out and make a difference. I pray each one of us would fulfill our purpose and live, Lord, with you and for you. Let you guide us on the path you have as you light the way. Jesus, you said to follow you. And I want to follow you. I want to follow completely. I pray everyone else here does too. And Lord, I want to pray right now 
that your spirit would start touching anybody who needs to commit their life to you. I pray, God, you would literally be upon them and stir. And I pray for the person who's sitting here today in pain. Father, I think there's someone sitting here right now when I talked about a man sitting on a bench lonely. They're so tired of feeling lonely. So today I pray they would literally pray this prayer and come to you and God allow you to start guiding them in a way that now they're going to have relationships with you and with others. I pray it's going to start happening. Lord, I think there's someone here today that, that all the people in their life that they counted on have walked out on them. And God, it hurts and there's a burden and I pray you're about to lift it. Father, I pray for the person who's here today and and, and the economy has hurt them. And I pray now that they would open up and let you start guiding them through this, lifting the burden off and, and giving them new hope and showing them the life. Because I think in their case, they're going to find that what they think they've lost should have been taken away. And what they're about to find, oh, it's going to be beautiful. And I pray for a couple who's here today. They've, there's a lot of pain. May they as a couple come to you. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now I'm going to lead a prayer for anybody who wants to either commit or recommit your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you right now, if you're ready to say yes to God and ready to have him draw you close to him or you'll know him like you never have before, would you pray this prayer with me? Are you ready to pray it? Just pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. To heal me from all hurt and pain. To free me from worry and fear. And to make me alive. To make me brand new. And to make me yours. And I say yes. Say those words. I say yes. I want this. And I want you. And I want to be who you created me to be. And I want to live the life that I'm meant to live. So I'm yours now. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God.